0: All right. Okay, now I talk fast. so I apologize up front. Uh, my wife's always tried to slow me down, but she hasn't been able to. I grew up in a southern family. My dad was one of twelve kids. My father was one of twelve kids. most of them were women. <laughs> they did not take turns when they talked. <laughs> so... Five women can talk at one time and understand one another, and so uh, I learned well. So when I was basic training in Fort Campbell, Kentucky, years years ago, my drill instructor got on me one day and said, "Man, I don't know Southerners talk fast." I said, "I don't talk fast. I talk normal." So you come from my house, you got to get it in there. Nobody takes turns. You just got to <laughs> you got to jump in. Uh, for the last thirty years, we have been traveling the country teaching on marriage and parenting because. I always believed that would be the hottest issue in the last days. Uh, I worked as an engineer for 12 years. I loved my job, loved what I did, but God did want us about ministry. So we quit our job, moved to Tulsa, went to school, got on staff there, and uh, two great churches with Pastor Bob and Pastor William George. And so for uh, the last 30 years, we've traveled because in the last days, God promised to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the children to the fathers. Why? Well, because the family got busted in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve got fired from the job, evicted from their house. The kids started killing one another. And that was the first family. And <laughs> sort of went downhill from there until you get to Silent Night, Holy Night, we three kings of Bar-Dar, And we did a turnaround. And so I've always thought the hottest issue in the last days will be family. Uh, now, for 5,000 years, nothing on this planet changed. Nothing. But about 100 years ago, everything changed. Electricity, automobiles. Um, 100 years ago, there were, there were only 5,000 cars in the entire United States. There's only only 100 miles of paved highway. You drove in the mud. So everything flipped. It's moving like a freight train, moving like a rocket ship, moving like a laser beam now. But God's not changed. He stayed the same. So I believe this is the greatest day of human history to be alive. I have a big family, and I'm the only minister in the family, and I happen to be Pentecostal, and that messes with all of them. <laughs> so I do, all the, I do all the weddings and funerals because I'm free. And so I'll marry, and I'll bury, and I don't care who you are. And so uh, I've gone all over the country doing that. And so people ask, things get tough. They'll ask, Brother Joe, what do you think is happening? You know, a couple of years ago, somebody in Wuhan China let something out of a jar, and, and they, they closed Disneyland. Disney had never closed. Ever. But somebody in Wuhan shut them down and everybody panicked. What's going on? I said, Well, somebody in Wuhan, China let something out of a jar. We'll get it back in eventually. And so my family called, Joe, you think this is the end? No, it's just Wuhan. <laughs> this is not the end. The Bible says when Jesus comes back, people will be eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, buying and selling, building and planting. Jesus said it will be business as usual the day He comes to get to church. So, I don't care what's happening, it won't last. Because the day Jesus comes, Walmart will be packed. (laughs) Every restaurant will be packed, people will be at the lake, they'll be skiing, nobody's going to be looking for Him. Most people will not be looking for Jesus when He comes back. But, if you're a part of the body of Christ, that's what we get to do, we get to look for Him. In the meantime, we get to get a job, pay our bills, Suck the lips off our wife's face and <laughs> train up our kids and uh, live normal lives. Because somehow people think you're not normal. No, I'm normal. You know, I am on my grass. No, I don't. I hire that done. I, yeah. I stopped that when I moved to Florida. I'm a Floridian now. I was in Oki for 42 years, and I married a woman f- from Georgia, and uh, she got up one day and said, Joe, uh, I'm moving to Florida. I said, well, I guess I'll go with you. <laughs> She said, You don't mind? No, babe, I'm going where you're going. And, uh, she said, Well, I'm going to sell the house. I said, Fine. You don't care? No. So she called a real estate agent. We sold it that night. <laughs> yeah, we made a chunk of money on that thing. And so we got up the next day. Well, I'm going to Florida to get a house. You want to go with me? She said, No, I'll just mess it up. I'll just go pick out what you want. You don't want to go? No, I'll mess it up. No. So she called two days later. Hey, Joe, bought a house. Good. You want to come see it? No, I'll see it when we move in, babe. I'll see it when we move in. So, so we, we got a nice, beautiful place in Lakeland, Florida, right in the middle of the state. And, and uh, Florida's got a lot of rednecks in it. Uh, it's the ninth-leading cattle-producing state. There's more to Florida than just beaches. We got cowboys and cattle and snakes and gators and, and uh I drove my wife nuts when I first moved to Florida. Every pond, every there's water everywhere. I said, Is "There gators in that water, Joe? There's gators in all water in Florida. The gators, the king of Florida. That nothing to him. They don't have an enemy. Nobody's going to kill them all. They just breeding like crazy and they're everywhere. If there's a puddle, there's a gator in it." <laughs> so with that in mind, when I started traveling teaching. Uh, one of my daughters is a journalism major and uh, I got, we got Angel and we have eight kids. They're all adults, born again, spirit filled out of the house, thank God. And, uh, and so it's just Angel and I, we like that. But uh, my journalism daughter, when she graduated from school, said, Dad, you need to start a publishing company. I said, babe, I got no time to mess with no publishing company. Yeah, Dad, people are making money off your books. You're not making any money off of them. Well, what did you say? well, people are making money off your books. You're not making any money. I said, well. And so the initial contract with a publishing company that published my first book, I got 10% net profit. That was the deal. A year later, we were selling a lot of books. I got 18% net profit. And so my daughter told me, Dad, if you start a company, you get 80% net profit. We're starting a company. So we went down to see a lawyer, wrote them a check for $300, created Stoneblood Publishing, sold them the back of my books, Stone Bluff Publishing. What is it? Well, that's where I live, Stone Bluff, Oklahoma. It's just a hole-in-wall place. We don't even have a grocery store. There's nothing there, but it's on the map. <laughs> so we created Stone Bluff Publishing, and then I created a, a desk in my office because they said I had to, and I, I, I got, it says Stone Bluff Publishing on it. Said, where's Stone Bluff Publishing? That desk right there. <laughs> So I use the same authors, printers, uh, everybody that my publishing company use, I now use, except I make 80 cents on the dollar, not 18 cents. So that means I can give books away. So I supply all the prisons in Oklahoma with my books, and I don't charge anything because they're free because I can do that. <laughs> so, and so people they'll come to, they'll come to my table. And say, you got any deals? No. There's no deal with my books. You want it? write a check or get some cash, it's not free. Gets quiet every time you say that. (laughs) No, I don't give any freebies. It costs money to get it. Now, what I'm going to do, I'm going to show you something. This is the first book I ever did. God knows how to raise your kids even if you don't. We sold 600,000 copies of this book. It was a good selling book. But when I got it from the publisher, I got it in the mail and opened it up, my first book. It was a cartoon cover. It was a sissy cartoon cover. The man holding a little baby, hang, holding a baby out to his wife because he, he didn't know what to do with it. I thought, I've poured my life in this book. They put a stinking cartoon on the front cover of my book. <laughs> I was so angry. And so uh, I threatened to change it, but I couldn't because every publisher says, Joe, you, you have full right on everything that's in the book. And we have the right on everything on the outside of the book. That's books don't sell books. Covers sell books. Right. So we determined the cover So, so... We did it. So, finally, I got my own publishing company a few years ago, and I said, well, if we run out of these books, we're going to do a new cover. And so, we did. So, I got me a new cover. It's raised up, real nice. I'm not sold a thousand copies of this book. <laughs> Sales went dead in the water. I'm not kidding. So, in April, we're going back to the cartoon cover. <laughs> don't find a great marriage, you build one. Jesus didn't find a church, you built one out of some sucking hellbound sinners. Nobody gets lucky and marries anybody nice, there are no nice people on this planet. There's a bunch of sinners that are in the process of getting saved and growing up. Whenever you marry somebody, I'm just going to give you a secret right now, they're going to change. They're going to change a lot. Nobody stays the same. And so, I realized when I was an engineer, I was a process engineer. I I fixed things. Companies hired me to fix problems. So um, when I became a minister, what's wrong? Well, marriages are busted. What's wrong with them? They're broke. So I just Googled it. What's wrong with one of the top ten reasons for divorce? I picked the top four. Top four reasons for divorce is incompatibility. That's a fancy word. They don't know how to talk to one another. God gave you two ears and one mouth, not two mouths and one ear. You need to listen more than you talk. All all marriages start with words. All divorces start with words. All wars start with words. All peace agreements start with words. Life and death in the power of the tongue. Your life is going how it's going based on what's come out of your mouth. The Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let the weak them strong. For some call those things to be not as though they are. So I realize part of the big thing in marriage is to keep your mouth shut. If you have anything nice to say, don't say it. Well, I'll tell you what I think. Please don't. We don't want to hear it. <laughs> you want to share something God said, we'll listen to that. But we don't want to hear your opinion because it's not going to be any good. So the biggest thing is communication. second thing in marriage challenges is money. Because men see money as freedom. Women see money as security. So they're never going to agree. So you need a budget. 97% of all American households have no working budget. They don't know how much they earn, how much they own, where it's going, or what to do with it. And that's why America is the most indebted nation on the face of the planet. We have more money, but we lose more money. Why? We don't steward our money. God's a God of stewardship. What you steward, he'll increase. What you don't steward, you're going to lose. Then we talk about parenting, because once kids show up, everything changes. Because, you know, you're the apple of your wife's eye when you get married, and you second lips off each other's face. Then you have that first baby. And you go to the bottom of the food chain. (laughs) You don't exist. That baby exists. If there's any spare time, I'm going to take a nap. She's not going to look at you. <laughs> well, I dropped six babies. I'm you I known the list. And I realized I got to change this. How I change this? And so I realized my wife had become a housewife. And I got to think one day my house doesn't need a wife.
1: I need a wife.
0: <laughs> my ha- my house stole my wife. <laughs> I, I, I got to get my wife back. How do I get my wife back? And so I had an idea. So it took a year and a half, but I gave my house to my children. So you're in charge of the dishes. You're in charge of the laundry. You're going to fold the towels. You're going to mow the grass. You're going to clean the toilets. So I gave my house to my children. And they were very successful in their married life because I trained them to be. Because about a year and a half into that, mom and I, we come home from work, and we sit on the couch. Who's cooking dinner? They are. <laughs> I'm not kidding. We didn't cook. They cooked. They do the dishes. They clean up, load the dishwasher, get everything ready, get their ready for bed. The problem with America, we have trained up thumbsuckers, not adults. Yeah. The Bible says, train up a child the way they should go. When they're old, they'll not depart from it. And then the last chapter on this is kind of controversial. It's on sex because God invented it. It was his idea. He thought it up. He made all the parts that go with it. there's something about sex in every book of the Bible. God said a lot about it. How to do it, when to do it, when not to do it. It's all in there. So, I have one Bible that I gave all six of my kids when they hit puberty. And I have highlighted in yellow all the scriptures on sex. And I said, okay, here's this Bible. Take a week, son, read all these scriptures. What are they? They're on sex. Really? Yeah. (laughs) And they did. They read it a lot. And they learned a lot. God made it, it was his idea. Uh, nobody gets up to, I used to tell me, nobody gets us. Oh, dear God, it's Saturday, I guess we gotta do it. <laughs> no people do it because it feels good. Oh, that was deep. <laughs> now this is a book that's not on my book table. I should have written this book 40 years ago, but I didn't. I should have, because I've taught it for 40 years. Um, when I start teaching on parenting, I talking about the four kinds of kids it's in Proverbs chapter one. You can read it in any translation. There's four kinds of kids in the Bible. And so, well, I'm a parent. What kind you want? Well, I need the, I need the good kind. And uh, there's only one good kind in the list. So, there's four kinds of kids. There's wise, simple, foolish, and scornful. It's a downhill slide. When I was a school administrator, I knew there were no wise kids that got sent to my office. <laughs> Yeah, that's deep, isn't it? If you got sent to my office, you're either simple-minded, a fool, or a scorner. And so the first time you come to my office, <laughs> I come and say, what are you done here? My teacher sent me down here. And what happened? Oh, I was acting up in class. Why? I don't know. I said, well, you hungry? What? You hungry? Yeah. Well, come back here. So we had chocolate donuts. We get two dozen chocolate donuts, everyone back in the office. Come back and get you a couple of chocolate donuts and a Pepsi. My parents sit down, so I sit down eating the donuts, Pepsi. I had a picture of me when I was in the first grade, Hickson Elementary, 32 of us. All the boys had bird haircuts, all the girls wore dresses, black and white photo. I said, there's a $5 bill taped to that. If you can pick me out of that picture, I'll give you that $5 bill. of the teachers got mad, thought I was gambling. I said, no, nobody ever won that $5 bill. They couldn't find me. I was in there, but they couldn't find me. So we'd eat the donuts, drink the Pepsi, guess the $5 bill. I said, I'm gonna send you back to your room. And said, I don't want you to don't come see me anymore. Because the second time you come see me, that, that means you're making a game out of it. And there'll be no guests at the $5 bill. There'll be no chocolate donuts. There'll be no Pepsi. I have two paddles hanging on my wall based on your stature. I'm going to bust you. It's legal in my state. Your parents signed a release to bust you. And so you come to my school, I'm going to light you up. <laughs> now, there, There's only five states that's that still legal in. That's all I got to say about that. (laughs) That's a short sermon, but it's a really good one this morning, so pay attention. In this book, uh, it's nothing but scripture. This book will cost you $8 if you order this from my website. It's $8. You can get everything in this book in this Bible for free. The Gettings will give you one. Everything in this book is nothing but scripture that came out of my Bible. Everything in here is scripture, all those words. Is scripture. And so that's yeah, deep. <laughs> so I've got them highlighted. There's actually eight chapters. there's four chapters, one on the wise child and then a chapter on the summation of the wise child. Well I summarize what I've said. then a simple amount of child, all the scriptures, then a summation of them. And so I'm just going to read the summation so you can kind of get the idea because you're, if you're a parent, your kid's one of these four things. And you've got hope because you can get them back to the good level of wise child. Oh, good Lord. I'm not going to read the chapter and verse. Just know it's in the Bible. I'll just read the summation. Wise children will increase learning. They will inherit glory. They will inherit honor. They love those that rebuke them. Wise kids love to be corrected. Thank you, Dad. I didn't know I was being stupid. I appreciate you pointing that out. (laughs) No problem, sugar. They make their father glad. They lay up knowledge. They refrain their lips. They know how to win others to Jesus. Their tongue brings healing. They hear their father's instruction. Their lips preserve them. Their crown is their riches. They have the king's favor. Their lips disperse knowledge. They pass by the wrath of a king. They are prudent. And that's just a few. It's all good. You want a wise child. How do you get a wise child? The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. I've prayed this twice a day my whole life. Mola's daughter is 45. She's a college professor. I prayed it this morning. I'll pray it tonight before I go to sleep. Father, I give you permission to teach my children to fear you. For the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom with that wisdom comes long life, riches, and honor. What do you want? Long life, riches, and honor. How do you get that? You need to fear God. If you don't fear God you won't get long life, riches, and honor. You're going to get a mess. The beginning of all wisdom is the fear of God. And nobody prays that. I learned that early. I said, no man, I got too many of them. I got to make sure they turn out right. I can't afford them to go stupid on me. Because stupid <laughs> kids cost you money. Listen, I've had my kids get lose their uh, driver's license for speeding. I've had them get kicked out of school. I had to get them back in. You're going back. I had one kid lose a college scholarship. How do you do that? How do you lose free money? You're going back. If I have to walk into class every day, you're going back. So it took took two of my kids six years to get a four-year degree. They got one. <laughs> Early on in my life, I hung six giant frames on my living room wall. And I had brass name plates at the bottom. I had all six of my kids. Big glass frame. And so they came home from school, and they're hanging on the wall. and before we had dinner, they're walking. Dad, what's that? Is that a collage? No, that's not a collage. That's where you're going to hang your college diploma. <laughs> we're all going to college, and we're stinking one of you. Did guy tell you that? No, Mom did. <laughs> <laughs> so... so so my second daughter said, what if, we, what if we don't want to go to college? What? Yeah, well, what if we don't want to go to college? I said, well, I guess you don't want to go, that means 20 years from now when you go back here to the family reunion, you'll have to explain to your three kids why you're only the idiot with a blank frame up there.
1: <laughs>
0: but you're going go. to go. I don't care if you major in water, bowling, basketball, you're going to go. And they did. And it worked out real good. Simple-minded. They love being simple. They're void of understanding. They have a need for common sense. They're clamorous and noisy. They're open to all forms of evil. They don't know anything that's of value. They believe everything that they're told. They're an open book. They're the kind of kid that you can whisper, to them, "Hey, you're kidding. They believe everything's the truth because they have no word in them because the words are filter. If you have no word, you have no filter. You believe everything you hear on the news, everything somebody tells you, because you have no filter. This filters out what's stupid and what's right. Oh, that was deep. (laughs) This is the big one. This is the foolish child. Uh, They are afflicted because of their iniquity. They despise wisdom. They hate knowledge. Their prosperity will destroy them. Every time they get money, they go broke again. They can't hold on to it. They're put, they'll be put to shame. They're destroyed for lack of common sense. They proclaim foolishness. They consider it an abomination to depart from evil. <laughs> Their companions shall be destroyed. You don't want a fool for a friend because you're going to get your lunch ate up. They mock sin. Their mouth pours out foolishness. The mouth feeds on foolishness. I got a whole chunk of that. So that's, and then you go to the stage, stage four. This is the nasty one. Scorner. Mm. Scorner. Uh, give me a few of these they delight in making fun of other people you can always tell a scorner they mock others they make jokes about others they ridicule others because they're so stupid the only way they can elevate themselves by making fun of other people that's not humor that's ridicule there's judgment coming for that don't ever make fun of somebody else you don't know them you don't know what they've been through what they're going through pray for them bless them Speak something good over them. Ooh, it gets quiet when you say that. God scorns the scorners. <laughs> well, that would be a bad seed to sow. Hey, God, you got any spare time? Can you come scorn me a little bit? They insult those who try to help them. They hate those that reprove them. They will not hear a rebuke. They refuse to listen to correction. They seek wisdom, but they can't find it. They don't love those that reprove them. Punishing a scorner will teach the simple minded a lesson. You correct a scorner in a simple mind, they'll, they'll They'll get in line. Whoa, that wasn't good. Yeah, it wasn't. Judgments are prepared for them. The simple-minded gain wisdom, but the scorner is punished. They're proud, they're haughty, and they're arrogant. Nothing good happens to a scorner. So, what do you want? I need wise kids. Because I don't want them to live with me forever. They are a gift from God. Children are a gift from God. Merry Christmas to you. Now, everybody shows up when you have a baby. Then they leave. They buy you cheap stuff, pampers, diapers, little booty shoes they won't even wear. <laughs> then they leave and they don't show up until they get out of high school. So you're on your own for the next 18 years. Then they show up and get out of high school and they bring some more cheap gifts. But they're yours forever. When you're nine and your kids are seven, you'll still be their parent. You may not be their daddy or their mommy, but you'll be their parent. And hopefully your kid can come to you for wisdom. Hey, Dad, what you doing? I oh, was just sitting here on the porch. Hey, did you ever go through this when you were 70? Sure did. What would you do? I did this. And you hopefully you can help your child go through life. I'm not going to be your thumb sucker, but I can give you wisdom if you ask. Now, I tell parents, once your kid turns 18, quit talking to them. They don't want to hear you. Make them ask you a question. But you know Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus always answered a question with a question. What do you think we ought to do? She said, well, what do you think you ought to do? So I learned that as a parent. Kid asked something, I don't know, what do you think you ought to do? Well, I think maybe i ought to do something different. Yeah, that's probably a good idea. (laughs) And so you start the habit of becoming a wise parent because there are no perfect parents. There are no perfect people. The Bible says the righteous fall down seven times a day, scoop dirt with their lower lip, get back up, spit the dirt out, and start moving again. You don't lay down feeling sorry for yourself. The devil's the accuser of the brethren. God's not. You repent, you forgive, your past does not exist in God's mind. There's no record of your sin in heaven. That book with your name on it's red, it's soaked in blood, the blood of Jesus. There's no record of anything you repented of or forgiven. There's no record. The devil can't, can't hit you with it. That's deep. This is Exodus. This is one short verse. Exodus uh, chapter 13. By the way, I love 13. I'm reading from Numbers 13, Exodus 13. That was my number in football. My dad's number in football. I love 13. People are paranoid over 13. I go to New York every now and then. I go over to December old Church in New York, and they don't have a 13th floor. They go from 12th to the 14th. I said, you doofus, it's still 13. I don't care what number they put on the door. It's still the 13th floor. (laughs) And so, and so, When they walked around the walls of Jericho, they walked once a day for six days, seven times on the seventh day. They walked around the walls of Jericho 13 times before the walls fell down. 13's a God number, not the devil's number. Quit getting crazy about 13. that's good. Anyhow, Exodus 13, verse 17. When Pharaoh finally let the people go, because they've been in captivity for 400 years, been stomping on mud. Now, in the beginning it was good. Uh, there are are 30 pharaohs in the history of Egypt. Twenty-seven were city pharaohs, three were country pharaohs. When Joseph and all that bunch went down there to Egypt, it was a country pharaoh. And he liked sheep and cattle, and they brought him down and said, hey, when he brought the family all down, hey, I'm going to give you the land of Goshen. I'm a sheep herder, and I like cattle, and I'll give you that. And so, for three generations they prospered, multiplied like rabbits. Man, I mean, the Jews were multiplying. Well, Fourth comes around, a city pharaoh takes over, and realizes, man, we got a problem. There's too many of these people. We need to kill a bunch of them all. So he passed a law. Every baby boy two years of age and under, we're gonna kill them today. And they butchered babies up and down the Nile River, Jewish babies. Why? There's too many of them. Herod went into Bethlehem after the wise men came, tend they looking for the Son of God and following that star. Herod says, when you find him, come tell me. When the angel warned him, no, he's lying. Go out a different way. So Herod, demon-possessed, goes into Bethlehem, kills every baby boy two years of age and under. What's the devil trying to do? Kill God before he grows up. The devil's a murderer, a liar, and a thief. We're on his planet. Satan is a temporary liturgy, God of planet Earth. That's why prisons are full, orphans are full, jails are full. Why? Where's God? He's in heaven. They're singing, There's music, it's air conditioning, free food. God's not allowed down here unless a Christian ask Him. Jesus said eight times in New testament, you have not because you ask not. Ask that your joy might be made full. God wants to meet our need, but He won't move unless we ask Him. People think, well, if I hurt bad enough, God will move. God's not moved by pity. He's not moved by pain. God's not moved. You cry all you want, God won't move. God is only moved by faith. Whoa, that's deep. So anyhow, he says this. Um, when Pharaoh let the people go out of Egypt, they've been slaves for years, they didn't run along the main road that runs through Philistine territory, even though that was the shortest route to the promised land. God said if the people are faced with a battle, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led them in a roundabout way through the wilderness toward the Red Sea. What's God know? God's a good parent. What do you know about your kid? They're not ready. What do you know about your kids? They're not ready. What are you going to do? I'm going to take them a the long way around. And they're short around. Yeah, but if they face opposition, they're going to turn around and run back into the hole they were in. They're going to stomp mud. They'd rather stomp mud than live in a house that they didn't build. Eat from vineyards they didn't plant. I'm trying to bless their socks off. But people are funny. I don't want to be blessed. I want to live in poverty. And I want to live in shame. And I want to live in a hole in the ground. That's what I want. (laughs) There's people like that all around you guys. It's like, oh, not me. I want want the high ground. So, here's my sermon. It's real short. Numbers chapter 13. It's another 13. Numbers 13. I'm just jumping to verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, send out men to explore the land of Canaan, the land I'm giving to the Israelites. Send one leader from each of the 12 ancestral tribes. So Moses did what he said. So he got one man from each of the 12 tribes. Now what they're at, they're at the Jordan River. They're about to cross over into the promised land, the land of milk and honey, the land of more than enough. They've been slaves for twenty years. Now they're about to be delivered, but they're not inside delivered. They're just kind of wishy-washy. So God said, well, send in 12 spies and check it out. So they did. So verse 17, Moses gave the men these instructions as they sent them to explore the land. Go north of the Negev, the hill country. See what kind of land it's like. Find out whether the people there are strong or weak. Few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good? Is it bad? Do their towns have walls? Are they unprotected like open camps? Is the soil fertile? Is it poor? How many trees are there? Do your best to bring in some samples of the crops that you see. Now what's he doing? He's telling us, well, we've been waiting four generations to go to the promised land. The land of God wanted to bless his people so much, the world would look at his people and ask them about the hope that's in them. It's God. How'd you get so rich? God. How'd you get that nice house? God. How'd you get such good kids? God. God wanted the people to show off through, but he couldn't get them to stay. (laughs) So, uh, I'll jump in, let's see around verse 23. When they came to the Valley of Esho, they cut down a branch with a single cluster of grapes so large it took two men to carry it on a pole between them. Now, if you go to Israel and fly to Tel Aviv, uh, there's a big brass statue in Tel Aviv, Airport in Israel. It's two grown men carrying a big pole with a single cluster of grapes. Now, they don't look like grapes. They look like grapefruit. I mean, the cantaloupes are huge. But these are grapes from the promised land. The land of more than enough. The land God was trying to bless His people with. He wanted them filthy, stinking blessed. It t- Listen, I love grapes. I've never had to have two men carry my grapes to my car. <laughs> I put them in a little sack and I carry them out myself. Can you imagine having to? T- We've got to hey, cut grapes, two guys, you know. No, it's a blessed land. God's trying to give it to them. So they go and they come back. They're in there for 40 days. Uh, Oh, verse 25. After exploring the land for 40 days, the men returned to Moses and Aaron and the whole community of Israel. They reported to the whole community what they had seen, showed them the fruit they had taken from the land. This was their report to Moses. We entered the land you sent us to explore. It is indeed a bountiful country, a land flowing with milk and honey. Here's some of the fruit that it produces. But, oh, there's always a but somewhere. But, the people living there are powerful, and their towns are large and fortified. We saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. That's a half-breed between a fallen angel and a human. Ten foot, two inches tall, six fingers, six toes. David killed one of them. Well, actually he killed all of them, but he made it famous for killing one. The Malachites lived in the Negev, the Hittites, the Jebusites, Amorites lived in the hill country, the Canaanites lived along the sea. And so, but Caleb tried to quiet the people. As they said before Moses, let's go at once and take the land. He said, we can certainly conquer it. But the other men that explored the land disagreed. No, we can't go up against them. They're stronger than we are. So they spread this bad report among the Israelites. The land we travel through and explore will devour anybody that goes up there. All the people that were huge. We saw giants at Svanak. And next to them we looked like grasshoppers. And that's what they thought too. What did you ask them? Hey, big guy, what do I look like? Look like grasshopper. Thank you. I'll go back and share that. <laughs> Chapter fourteen. I'm about through. It's a short sermon. <laughs> then the whole community began weeping aloud. They cried all night. Their voices rose in a great chorus of protest against Moses and Aaron. Oh, if we'd only died in Egypt. Oh, if we'd only died in the wilderness. They complained. Why is the Lord taking us uh, in the country? only to leave us there in battle and die, and our wives and our little ones would be carried off as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to return to Egypt? So they plotted among themselves, let's choose a new leader to take us back into slavery. Politics has never changed. I made the nominating speech for the governor of Oklahoma over 35 years ago. I was big in politics. I was a precinct chairman, county chairman of my political party, but we, we were getting it done. God dealt with me after a couple of years. I realized something. Pat Robertson ran for president and all the Christians wanted to get involved. Then he stopped running for president and all the Christians left. And so there wasn't a single Christian that ever show up at my monthly meeting. The heathens showed up. Lots of heathens. Wanted money, wanted stuff, wanted power. Christians, they went back into church. They just winky-winky their way back. And so I served as county chimp for two years over a bunch of heathens. And I told my wife, this is it. I'll vote. I'll pray for those authorities. I'm not doing this anymore. Because sheep don't want to be led. Most sheep don't want to be led. They're just happy just being eaten by the wolves. And I thought, well, I'm going to focus on my family. I'm going to focus on my church. I'm going to teach. So I'm going to do what's right. And then God got to do what's right. We're going to try become, we're going to teach on, on family and marriage. And so I cover every denomination. And I was sharing with Pastor uh, you have to watch where you go because uh, I go a lot of places—Methodist, Baptist, Church Crowd, Church God, Sim to God, Charismatic, Word of Faith. Uh, I go a lot of places, and so I was in the I was in the First Baptist Church, Nashville, Tennessee. We did a Friday-Saturday marriage seminar, and went really good. Back crowd, and so we're eating lunch on Saturday. I got to catch a plane to go to Jacksonville, Florida, for Sunday morning. I want to do another <laughs> seminar in Jacksonville, and so we're eating our cheesecake and we're sitting. In this Round t- eight to a table, and that's great. And so we're eating our cheesecake, and Pastor said, Josh, understand you went to seminary in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I thought, uh oh. <laughs> I said, Yes, sir. He said, I didn't know there were any Baptist seminaries in Tulsa, Oklahoma. <laughs> I said, Well, Pastor's not. <laughs> I'm eating that cheesecake. He's just real happy. He said, well, Where'd you go to school? I said, Well, I'll go to a two year knee knocker school called Raymond Bible Training Center. And I went, three years to Old Roberts University. He stopped eating, and it got dead quiet at our table. He laid his fork down, and he looked at me and said, you're not a Baptist? I said, well, Pastor, I grew up Baptist. All my family's Baptist. I'm still on a church road, at Hickson, Tennessee as a Baptist, but no, I'm not a Baptist. He said, well, what are you? Well, they got a lot of words for it. Word of faith, charismatic, Pentecostal. And he, you could I don't have my check yet. I thought, well, dear God, I'm probably not getting paid. For me. And so he said, well, if I'd have known that, I would not have invited you. We're in apart 18-inch another. I'm thinking, well. I said, well, Pastor, how was it? He said, just for a few seconds, said, pretty good. Went back to eating the cheesecake. Well, I went back the next year. But if you go to my website, you don't know where I went to school, and I don't tell anybody. Because... We cross a lot of grounds. Some people, that's a, I was at the great Baptist church in Arkansas about two months ago, and they didn't know what I was. Before they loved me. They invited me back. And so they think I'm Baptist of the core. Went and ate dinner with all their people. And we taught Baptist all day long. I didn't lie. I just didn't tell them the truth. Yeah, you'll quote me on that. So anyhow, uh, Let's jump into verse 13. Uh, But Moses objected. God's, well, let me shorten this up. God spoke to Moses. He got mad. God spoke to Moses. That's it. Because Moses and Aaron got on their face in front of the temple. They're praying to God. Oh man, the people are going nuts on us. And so uh, Aaron and they tore their clothes. And and so God told Moses, get up, get up. So Moses got up. God said, That's it. I'm going to kill every stinking one of them. I'm going to start all over with you. It's in the Bible. I'm not paraphrasing. It's in the Bible. And most of you can't do that, God. What? You can't do that. You showed off too much. You split the Red Sea. You killed the Egyptian army. You've done too much. You're too famous. You look stupid if you do it. So God, it's in their Bible. You can read it. I read the New Living Translation. It's in there. God said, yeah, I guess you're right. Well, I'm going to take everybody 20 years of age and up. I'm going to take them back into the wilderness. They dropped dead. I'll take their children into the promised land. So most of them told the people what God said. God said, Everybody's 20 years of age and up, raise your hands. Okay, you're going back to the wilderness, y'all drop dead. And he's going to take your children in. <laughs> so it got quiet and said, What? Yeah, God's going to take you back to the wilderness, y'all drop dead. He's going to take your children in. Well, 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 we, we can change our mind. <laughs> we, we'll go. Moses said, no, you don't understand. You're not going because God's not going with you. No, no, we'll go. We, we, just, we just made a mistake. I'm sorry we got mad. We'll, we'll go, we'll go. Moses said, no, you can't go. God's not going with you. We're going to go. Moses said, please don't. So they went across the river and 13,000 of them dropped dead that day. And they came back across the river. And I said, well, I guess we're going back to the wilderness. So they go back for 40 years. They come back to the promised land 40 years later. Joshua and Caleb are 80-year-old men, minimum. So they're about to cross the river again. So I forgot the message translation, I think. Caleb's sitting there, and they're about to cross the river. And he said, now guys, we'll cross this river. You see that big hill up there? That's mine. Stay off my hill. I've been waiting 40 years for that hill. Don't go near my hill. (laughs) And the Bible says they crossed the river. That 80-year-old man outran everybody to the top of that hill. God makes promises for everybody, but not everybody will possess it. God said, I set before you life, death, blessing, and cursing. You choose. It's a great life, but we have to choose that life. And there's opposition. People, I've got so many people born again. I, I share with the pastor, used to when I got people born again, I'd take them to the book of John. Well, read the book of John. Well, I stopped that five years ago. I don't do that anymore. I get people born again. i take them to the book of Revelation. I said, we're going to start with the last book. What, what? Yeah, you're gonna love it. You're going to love this book. This is the only book in the Bible with a promise. Blessed are those who read and understand the words of this book. No other book in the Bible has that promise. Plus, when I married Angel, I married my first wife. I had a great marriage. I was married for 45 years. She got a brain tumor, stage four cancer. Three months later, she's dead. And so I cried for six weeks. Couldn't stop crying. And God spoke to me one Saturday morning. Said, so "Get up, shut up, and get busy." So I haven't cried since. I haven't cried in six years. So Angel, her and her husband worked for me years ago, and uh, he'd gone stupid, and uh, she's been divorced for 12 years, raised her kids in Florida. So we start talking on the phone. So I, I'm, I have fat thumbs. She would text me for eight months. How are you? I am good. <laughs> How are the kids? They are good, too. And so that's all we said for eight months. And nine months later, she called one night. She's put in 10-hour days at the big insurance company. She goes, hey, I heard, I heard that voice in about 12 years. And so we talked, and we talked, and we talked. She's a girl from Georgia. She's a southern girl, and I like southern women. And so we talked and told funny stories about what God had done with us, and how things turned out, and how God had redeemed us. And so uh, long story short, we fell in love. And so, so I thought, you want to get married? Sure. And so. I tried to find a pastor. I know everybody in Tulsa been there for 42 years. i spoke spoken everybody's church. I get one of the pastors to marry me. Well, Pastor Bob's out of town. Pastor Willie's out of town. Everybody's out of town. I said, Must be a sign. So, I said, no, we'll go down to the courthouse. There's somebody done there in the marriage. So, we had a marriage certificate. So, we got in the courthouse. Don't you have somebody down there to come marriage? We do, but he's off today. <laughs> You've got to be kidding. So, so what? It's got to be a sign. So, Angel's with a yellow page of the phone book. What's she doing? I'm looking for somebody to marry us. I said, well, honey, I don't know. It's not looking good. And so she found a lady over in Broken Arrow, and she called and said, can you marry us? Yes. Can be there in 30 minutes. You marry us? Yes. So we go to Broken Arrow. She's in a gated community, big old house. We pull up, and she's got three vans in the driveway. She does parties for kids, balloons and animals and characters. And so she makes money doing that. She breeds dogs. she got dogs. So when she opened the door, she's barefoot with this little old sissy foo foo dog in her arm. And I said, We're Joe Angel. You the one we called out? You want to get married? Yeah. So we stepped inside the door. We're just inside the door. We didn't go any further. It's inside the door. Do you want the $50 wedding or the $200 wedding? <laughs> I'm not making this up. I said, What's the difference? Well, the $50 wedding, we'll just sign some papers and you'll be married. The $200 wedding, we'll go out back and have some cake, and ice cream, confetti, and have some balloons. No, I don't need no $200 balloon, no. <laughs> and so, so so, she said a few words, and, and she say any She wrote some papers. It we'll sign signed here, signed here. Well, i got to go upstairs and have my husband notarized. I hope she was married. I never saw the guy. She comes back down, hands the paper, said, well, you're married. We don't say anything, only if you want to. <laughs> but we're married, Yeah. Okay. So we stepped out on the porch, and she closed the door and said, well, dear God, we ought to say something. I love you, you love me, God bless America or something. <laughs> so we prayed a little 30 second prayer and we went to the old local restaurant and had a honeymoon meal, I went home and sucked lips off each other's face. My first wedding I paid $10 for and it lasted 45 years. This wedding I paid $50 for. This thing's going to last a long time. Ain't I have been married five years now and it's just, it's been something, because you marry your absolute direct opposite. I've had so many people come to me, Brother Joe, will you marry us? We're so in love. No, you're blind as a bat and dumb as dirt. <laughs> you have no idea what love is. Love's the most expensive four-letter word in the universe. You ever tell somebody I love you, you get out your pickup truck, your bank account, your hunting dog, your basketball, your ride and pile that on the table. Then when you look, hey, honey, I love you. Because if love's not costing you something, it's not love. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son. It cost God everything to love us with no guarantee we would love him back. So marriage is a, it's a crazy thing. It's a covenant. You, ha- you can't have a covenant unless somebody dies. I told all my kids that got married, you're trying to find the one person you want to spend the rest of your life giving your life away to. I love you and you love me. Oh, no, 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 no. You're going to love them regardless. It's a covenant. You're making a covenant with God. I'm going to love them until Jesus comes. I told Angel, when I'm here, I said, I'm going to make you want to suck the lips off my face, woman. I may get fat and lose all my hair, but you're going to want to suck the lips off my face. <laughs> There's nobody's going to be better than you than I am. And I fully expect when I get to heaven, I'm going to have two women in heaven. They're going to get up there, follow on, thank you for your son, Jesus, and the Holy Ghost. Father, second, I want to thank you with Joe. Joe was the second greatest thing ever happened to me. I've got two women that are going to say that. Because my, my wife is done. I am really, I, I, you can't say it because nobody believes you. I've never, I've never picked a restaurant. I've never picked a car. We bought two cars. I didn't pick one. We bought two houses. I didn't pick one. I've never picked a meal. I've never picked vacation. I don't pick nothing. Angel picks it. Where do you want to go? Where you're going. What are you in the mood for? Whatever you're in the mood for. What do you want to eat? Food. It's all going to the same place. It ain't that big a deal, people. And so that woman loves me. And so when she bought the house, we got a beautiful house in Lakeland on a dead-end road with a bunch of rednecks on either side of us. They got more guns and cats got hair. But we got this beautiful house, 20 years old. Got a big old heated pool in the backyard. We're backed up against a preserve where nobody can build anything behind us. It's full of gators and snakes and all kinds of stuff. And so... uh, so I go swim in my heated pool every day. You come to my office. Now, we're on the internet all the time because we've got podcasts. And so people say, sorry, in your podcast, but What you don't know is from the waist down, I have my bathing suit on. <laughs> I have three glass doors in my office. There's a bathing suit hanging up. The one hanging up is the one wet. I'm wearing the dry one. Because as soon as I get to talking, I'm going out to the pool. So I swim in my pool two to three hours every day. Now, I do it for therapy, but I like swimming. I never owned a swimming pool. I grew up poor. We swam in the muddy lake. I didn't have no stinking pool i drive by houses that have a pool and say, how come nobody's in a stinking swimming pool if we had a swimming pool we'd be in that thing how come people got a swimming pool they don't get in the stinking swimming pool and so i told my wife when i get a pool i'll be there every day and i've never missed a day never in a year and a half we've been in florida i've never missed a day i've not been in my pool they got down to 48 one night i was in my pool because it's heated <laughs> you got to get in quick and don't get out <laughs> I have that because that woman loves me. Angel and I are two different people. We don't agree on hardly nothing.
1: <laughs>
0: but that's okay with me. Pick something, sir. Pick it. I'm going to love you. That woman loves me and she treats me good. Nobody's loved me more than Angel loves me. I mean that. Nobody. She'll tell me 12 times that, Joe, I love you. I love you, baby. You're my gift from God. So what you do, you've got to get your mouth moving in the right direction. You can change your life today by changing your mouth. Honey, I want to tell you I love you. Now, your spouse is going to say, you're saying it because the preacher told you to say, yes, I am. You better be glad. (laughs) So let's change our words. I want you to say this after me. Say, Heavenly Father, Father, I thank you for your word. Your word word is truth. truth. It sets me free, and it keeps me free. free. I ask you, according to your word, word teach my family to fear you. Surround my family With divine favor, bring to my family godly friends. I consider it done in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Good morning, Um, Psalms chapter 121, verses 1 and 2. I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills, from whence comes my help. My help comes from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. And um, I like how the message translation says, I look up to the mountains. Does my strength come from mountains? No, my strength comes from God, who made heaven and earth and mountains. And as I was meditating on this, um, I know we may have challenges that come up or problems that come up, and we're looking for a solution. And uh, we look to natural things at times, but God is always the answer. So even though God may give you a solution to your problem, remember who gave you that solution. Remember who's always the answer. Keep your focus on him. And uh, yeah, amen. (laughs)
2: Praise the Lord. Good morning. God's not finished yet. In Isaiah 43, Pastor Rick read this a couple weeks ago about our vision for our church, about taking off. But if you read a couple verses above that, verse 16 and 17, it talks about how God delivered his people from the armies of the Egyptians. And it, it recounts how he did that. He rolled back the Red Sea. They probably thought they were finished, but God showed up. But listen to this. So after verse 16 and 17, this is what God says. This is from the New Living Translation. After he recounts the miracle at the Red Sea, it's a pretty big miracle. you agree? God says, forget all that. What? How can you forget that? It is nothing compared to what I'm going to do. Praise God. Amen. For I'm about to do something new. See, I have already begun. Do you not see it? I make a pathway through the wilderness. I create rivers in the dry wasteland. See, God wants to do something new in our lives, in our finances, in our health. But I really felt like the Lord was saying there's some families out here that God wants to do something new. If, if God rolled back the Red Sea, don't you think God can't draw that spouse to the Lord? That God can't draw that child to the Lord? It's not impossible. I said, it's not impossible. So don't think your marriage is done. Don't think your children are done. Give them to the Lord. He said, see. Open your eyes. Not just your physical eyes. But you got to see it through the eyes of faith. Amen. Praise God. God bless you.
3: Praise God marks chapter 16 verse 1 to 4 when the sabbath was past mary magdalene mary of mother of james and shalom bought spices so that they might go and anoint him and very early on the first day of the week when the sun had risen they went to the tomb and they were saying to one another who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb and looking up they saw that the stone had been rolled back it was very large I feel that there's somebody in this congregation thinking, who's going to roll away the stone for me? The things that I'm facing today, who's going to roll the stone for me? I mean, the, the stone represents, you remember the law given through Moses on the stone. Alright? So, don't worry. You just walk in faith. You just walk in faith. The stone stands in between you and Jesus. By the time you reach there, it's already done. It is the finished work. We live in the finished work. Amen. It's already done. Don't get the mindset of the law or religious mindset in you. That block to see Jesus. You just look, keep look at Jesus. Praise God.